We're returning to the book of John this morning. Making our way into the second chapter. And <clears throat> this sermon is primarily going to be about science and God's word. How do they come together? Science and God's word. What's the relationship between them? How do they work in the same world? Right? Particularly with regard to miracles and the natural world. The natural and the supernatural, both made by God. But how do they come together? We're going to see an example of this as we read our passage, where we see the first miracle that Jesus performs in public in Cana, during a wedding. This is a party, a celebration. And we're going to study that miracle. But before we get into that miracle, we're going to take a little uh, detour into Jesus' mother, Mary, because there's this very interesting interaction between Mary and Jesus at this time, right before he performs this miracle. And... It's related to the Roman Catholic Church, and uh, since this is, what, the 499th year after the Reformation, or the um, split between the Protestant and Roman Catholic Church, where the Protestants said, no, there's something wrong here. Um, we'll look for a little bit at that. This is not central to the Reformation. This is not central to what it means to be a Protestant. This isn't why Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door or anything along those lines. Um, <clears throat> but it is worth noting and so we're going to take a brief look at it before we dive into the question of miracles and the natural creation. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing twenty or thirty gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drank the water knew, drawn the water knew, 
the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So let's look at the beginning of this passage. Jesus and his disciples are invited to a wedding. His mother is there. This, this clearly is a, um, a family friend. That's why Jesus and Mary are there. We don't know who was getting married, but it may have been a close relative or or a family friend, somebody close to Jesus. And what do we see? Well, maybe they were too poor to buy enough wine. Maybe they planned poorly. Who knows why, but they ran out of wine. Pretty important part of the party. And so, what happens? Well, what happens is Mary, Jesus' mother, takes this problem onto herself. It's another indication of how close a friend or a relative this would have been to, to Jesus and to his mother, right? That she feels as though she, he, Somebody ought to do something, and she's, she's taken this problem onto herself. Now, when she took the problem onto herself, what did she do? Did she go buy wine? No. Did she make water into wine? No, she can't do that. What happened was she turned to Jesus and she appealed to him, they have no wine. They've run out of wine. So what's she saying? Jesus, turn water into wine? No, that wasn't her idea, right? But what she's saying is, Jesus... This problem is my problem is your problem. Jesus' response, though, is a rebuke. What he does is he rebukes her for making other people's problems her own and coming to him with them. That's what he says. He says, woman, what does that have to do with us? And then he says, my hour has not yet come. Now, the my hour has not yet come is a, uh, a statement of you don't determine when I do and what I do, mother. When my time comes, I will do what I need to do. And it will be the proper time. 
Now, he's not being rude to her, okay? but it is a rebuke. If you, if you read this passage and you don't have a proper understanding of what's going on, you may end up thinking that Mary's response is to manipulate Jesus into doing what she wants for her. She says to the servants, whatever he says to you to do, do it, right? As though she knew that he was going to make water into wine by using the servants. But did she know that? No, she didn't. And so actually her response is a beautiful, sweet, submissive response in response to his rebuke she bows out of the situation and she says to the servants, do what Jesus says to do. If Jesus says, do nothing, do nothing. If Jesus says, what? It doesn't matter. Just she, she turns the situation over to him and she says, you're right. I was wrong. I was out of my place taking somebody else's problem and bringing it to you as though I could use the fact that I'm your mother to make you do what I want and what they want rather than what is good and proper and true for you to do, which is what he is concerned about. My time has not yet come, right? I will do what I need to do when I need to do it. That's what he's saying. So what do we learn from this? Well, we learn that we don't pray to Mary. Do you see that? Do you see how simple and obvious that is in this passage? You don't pray to Mary unless you're trying to get Mary to sin. Mary learned here not to do what Roman Catholics say that she does which is to make her influence extend over her son. Jesus says, what does that have to do with us? My time has not yet come. You don't determine what other people's problems are my problem that I'm going to deal with, or when I'm going to deal with them, or how I'm going to deal with them, mother. If we thought she had some sort of special channel to him, we learn here that we were wrong. She doesn't manipulate him into doing what she wants when she directs the servants to obey him. Those servants understood that going back to Mary for help wouldn't get them anything. Do you see that? What could Mary do? It had just become clear Mary could do nothing. Mary had just realized, I can do nothing. Mary had just given the only proper response that she can give to any of us today, still, which is, go to Jesus. Do what he says to do. And so from the grave, that's the lesson that Mary teaches us in this passage. No, don't come to me. 
Go to Jesus. Do what he says, whatever he says. Mary's instruction to the church today from our passage is, whatever he says to you, do it. So let's not forget that. Let's learn from Mary. Let's honor her obedience that we see in this passage. Instead of turning and twisting it around and making it be the opposite of what we should learn. Okay, so then what happens? It's the end of the side note about Mary and Roman Catholicism. What happens is then Jesus goes and performs his first miracle. So his time came, didn't it? Between when she said, act, and the end of the celebration, his time came. And when his time came, what did he do? He acted. So Jesus performs his first miracle. It's in Cana of Galilee. It's at a wedding. And what does he do? He makes six stone water pots of 20 or 30 gallons each. So we're looking at at least 120 gallons of wine out of water. This is not a trick. You can't make wine out of water by mixing in powder, right? We have powders. We can make juice. We can make all kinds of sweet, crazy drinks by mixing in powders, make a lot of water with a little bit of powder to make lemonade, right? But can you make wine? No, you can't make wine. It's not a trick. And he didn't take, he didn't take a bottle of wine and split it amongst you know, spread it out and make some wine stretch to a lot more wine by adding, diluting it with water, right? Because how would you make 120, at least 120 gallons of wine without having lots of gallons of wine to dilute, right? What's my point? Well, my point is simply to say this is a miracle. It's a sign. It's supernatural. And this first miracle that he performs, it's a watershed moment in the life of Jesus. There is a major change that takes place at this moment where he has now performed his first miracle he has declared himself to be what? The Son of God. It's a public declaration of his power. It's a shot fired up in the air from a flare gun. Boom! 
so it begins. It begins at a wedding feast with 120 gallons of wine. It's shocking. Everyone who was there, all those servants who saw it, anyone who heard about it afterwards, knew something has happened here. Right? This is why crowds begin to follow him. They, they hear of his miracles, and they see, and they know, and they understand this man is not just a man. And so what does the text say? The text says that he manifested his glory. heard of a manifesto? What is a manifesto? It's a public declaration, a making clear of what you're doing, of what you're trying to accomplish. This is what he was doing. He was manifesting, making clear his glory. And the end result is that his disciples believed in him. People see his glory when he performs miracles, right? Because his performance of miracles is a declaration, a manifestation of his glory. It's him saying, I am God. I am glorious. I am here. Look at me. This is attention getting. You can't, you can't do this sort of thing without intending to draw attention to yourself, right? Sometimes we get numb to miracles in the Bible. Yeah, you've all heard about Jesus making water into wine or wine into water. I don't know, what, you know, whatever he did that first time. Look, don't be numb to something that's supernatural, that's shocking. That's astounding. Put yourself in the position of those servants. What would they learn by filling those water jars? By doing what Mary says, she says, whatever he says, do it. So they, they do what he says. And then he says, take some to the head waiter. Okay, I'm just a servant. I just do what I'm told. So you take some to the head waiter, and the head waiter goes, It's the best wine ever! Why didn't you serve this stuff first? It's fantastic! What would, you, what would your response be? You know what you'd be doing. You'd be going back to get some, right? What? I'd try this. Wow! Wow. How? That was definitely water. It's definitely not water anymore. It's definitely wine. Just, just put yourself in the position of being one of those servants. Don't be numb. Think about it. Water. Now it's wine. If that happened to your glass of water between when you 
filled it up at the tap, and you started drinking, and it was wine, it would be more shocking than when you thought you were about to drink water and discovered it was actually Sprite. Right? You ought to be shocked. You ought to be at least as shocked as you are when you accidentally drink Sprite and think it's water. There's a reason that the outcome is that people believe in Jesus Christ. It's because it's miraculous. But this is just the warning shot. This is just the start. Many more and greater miracles would follow. And he had done many things greater in the past as well. What? What had Jesus done that was greater than this? Well, in the grand scheme of things, making 120 gallons of water become 120 gallons of wine is indeed miraculous, but it pales in comparison to creating the universe from nothing. This is Jesus' greatest miracle prior to that point, right? As the children's Bible storybook says, with words, powerful words. Grand words. He spoke, and everything came into existence. So we're going to talk about both of those miracles now as we move forward and we begin to think about what we can learn from this miracle. First thing that we see is miracles... This, this is obvious, okay? But it has to be has to be clear in our minds for us to have a proper understanding of miracles. All right? Miracles don't follow the laws of nature. Miracles, by definition, are supernatural, are outside of the laws of nature, contravene the laws of nature. Now, the laws of nature are such that we don't understand them. We have certain things that we understand. We, the more we study, the more we understand, right? And there's a lot about science today that we do understand, that we've learned as time has gone on, as we've given ourselves to studying God's creation. Now remember that. We're going to come back to that. God's creation. That miracle that, that miracle that Jesus performed of creating everything out of nothing, that was the creation. Okay? We've studied, and we now have some understanding of some of these laws of nature, right? But we don't perfectly understand the laws of nature, do we? We can't quite figure out how the laws relate to each other to account for, on the one hand, astrophysics, 
and the movement of stars and planets and light. And on the other hand, the itty-bitty bodies of quantum mechanics. Nobody can put those two things together and make sense of them. We can understand how this works, and we can understand how this works, and yet they don't seem to come together. They don't seem to follow the same law. So we've got these theories about how to try to put them together, right? What was my point? Well, my point is that there's, there's a lot that we don't understand about God's creation yet. We're growing more and more in our, in our knowledge and our understanding of it. But even if we were to eventually make it to a perfect understanding of chemistry, just for example, okay, there would be no explanation in chemistry for how 120 gallons of water became 120 gallons of wine. It's a miracle. It is supernatural. It is outside of the laws of nature. It is contrary to the laws of nature. And no amount of studying will ever bring us to the point where we can explain why and how that happened. It happened because God made it happen. And that's the only explanation that there can ever be for any miracle. And all I'm doing now is defining miracle. A miracle is when something outside of the laws of nature happens. Contrary to the laws of nature. Why is this so important? Well, it's important because it means that we cannot and we must not look to the laws of nature to explain any of God's miracles. You cannot explain a miracle through the natural laws. It is by definition not natural. So if you're tempted to start trying to explain a supernatural occurrence with natural laws, you are insane. There is no point. If you're attempting to do that, you have denied that it is a miracle. You have denied that God worked extraordinarily outside of his normal process of natural law You've denied that it's a miracle. You can't explain a miracle through natural laws. We're often tempted to try to do this. Now, I don't want you to take this and hear me saying that there is no point in studying science. Okay? I don't want you to hear me saying that we cannot and should not look into nature and how God has made the universe and understand how it works and why things are the way they are. We should. We must. It's part of our work that he's given us to do. Okay, But how do those two things come together? Well, 
No branch of science is complete in its understanding. Remember how I said you can't, we, we can't put quantum physics and astrophysics together right now? The further you dive into physics, the further you dive into chemistry, the more you realize how little we know. Take gravity, for example. Pretty straightforward. Hey, Liam, what happens when you trip? Do you fall down or do you fall up? You fall down. How old are you? You're five? So, five-year-old can explain gravity, right? Everybody knows. When you trip, you fall down, not up. But why? Who can explain that? Can anybody explain why gravity exists? No. Nobody can figure it out. There's a lot of theories out there. But think about that. Although any child can explain that when you trip, you fall down, not a physicist in the world can tell you why. Maybe soon we'll figure out gravity. I don't know. We've figured out a lot of things. Maybe soon we'll figure out gravity. But when we figure out gravity, let me ask you a question. Are we going to run out of topics for physics PhD theses? No, why not? Well, because God's creation is more above us than we want to admit. Our understanding will never be complete of the world that God has created, even in the natural laws, even in the things that we can observe and test and scientifically understand, right, with our logical brains that God has given us, the ability to reason. We're never going to come to the end of math. In fourth grade, you learn that there are atoms, and they're made up of protons and electrons and neutrons, right? And you think, wow, amazing. The whole world, the whole universe, everything is made of these. This is the fundamental building block that I was reading about when Plato was speaking. Oh, no. Well, okay. Maybe in fourth grade, you weren't thinking about Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and, the, and their philosophies and whether they... Okay, but... But really, you think in fourth grade when you learn about atoms and that they're made of protons and electrons and neutrons that you've made it to the fundamental building blocks, right? That's what they tell you. And then come to find out there's these crazy things called quarks. 
And we don't know how many there are. And they're a lot smaller. We think they have something to do with maybe gravity. I mean, seriously. The world that God has created is itself a miracle. Okay? And that's what we've got we've to remember, that, yes, he has given us something to study, but his creation of it is truly itself miraculous. Because he spoke it into existence out of nothing. What's my point? Well, my point is something might be unexplainable to science today and completely understandable tomorrow. Something that's unexplainable today may as well be a miracle in our minds because we can't understand it. We can't explain why that happened. How did that happen? I don't know. It was a miracle. It didn't make sense according to any of the natural laws that I know. Right? And then tomorrow you discover that X, Y, and Z, and you're like, oh, so that's why that happened. There's a natural explanation. Just because something is unexplainable today doesn't mean that it is a miracle. If it is a miracle, science cannot ever explain it. No amount of study, no amount of increase of knowledge, no amount of grandiose exploration of the universe will ever be able to explain why water became wine on that day in that house at that party. Because it was a miracle. It was a sign. It was supernatural. When Jesus turned water into wine, it wasn't just unexplainable then. It is always unexplainable. So what this means is that we both have freedom to explore science and God's creation and to seek to understand as much as possible and to explain the unexplainable. Without feeling like somehow that's a rejection of the miraculous that God has done. No, it is because God has done the miraculous and created the universe that we have the ability and the responsibility to study and to learn and to grow in knowledge of how his universe, how his creation works. But you don't ever bother trying to explain a miracle through that study. Right? That's why I keep harping on the fact that this is a miracle. It's supernatural. Water became wine. No scientific explanation. As soon as you go down the route of trying to explain through natural processes how water became wine, you're rejecting the fact that this was a sign from Jesus. You are rejecting the fact that his glory was made manifest. You are rejecting the fact that he is God. You are rejecting him as Savior and Lord. Do you understand? We may not 
take science and seek to take away the glory of God through the natural laws that are themselves his creation and that declare his glory. That's what the universe does. It declares his glory. Why does it declare his glory? The same reason that this miracle that Jesus performed declared his glory. It declares his glory because it's supernatural. There's no explaining where this universe came from apart from saying God did it. There's no explaining why water became wine except for saying God did it. Those two things are the same. They're a miracle. They declare his glory. And so miracles serve to remind us of the perpetual declaration of God's glory through creation, which is itself a miracle. Do you understand? Miracles remind us of the miracle of creation. How? By setting apart, setting aside the laws of that creation for just a moment to make something different happen. When God decides that physics isn't going to be physics for 30 seconds, it's a shock, isn't it? But God can do that. Because he's the one who made physics in the first place. And so every miracle doesn't just say, oh, wow, look at what just happened. No, every miracle says, look what God did and compare it to what God normally does. Look at what God did and look at what God did. Both of them declare his glory. And so when we start to dive into trying to explain a miracle away, and then we start referencing the laws of nature that God put into place miraculously, do you understand how absurd that is? As though we can appeal to some other miracle to explain why this miracle isn't a miracle. What? Why bother? If you want to explain away this miracle with this miracle, fine. Now explain this miracle to me. There's no answer except God did it. God created it. He spoke, and so it was. Now, when we think about creation, a lot of times today, people begin to get tied up in knots, thinking that somehow... What God's word says, that God created it, is, needs, needs to be uh, brought into sync with what science claims about how the world began. Okay? And the reason that you'll often hear uh, as an argument for why God couldn't have just created 
everything the way it was around 6,000 years ago, is that that would be dishonest. Okay? Why would that be dishonest? Well, because it would look it looked like the world and the universe was a lot older than 6,000 years, right? How long does it take light to travel X number of miles? Well, actually, we don't know, just saying. But given our current theories, it would take millions of years for the light to travel from that star over to here. And so, obviously, the world must be millions of years old. Otherwise, God is being dishonest, making it look older than it is, right? With the, making the world with the appearance of age would just be tricking us. That's dishonest. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, every time God performs a miracle, that's what happens. And it's not God being dishonest. It's God being God. It's God being outside the realm of our understanding. It's sort of like trying to explain to a six-year-old why, this happened yesterday, why the team that we just beat got first place and we got second place. doesn't make any sense. Well, you see, through the season and the points and the wins and the losses and the ties and the... I thought you said we won. Yeah, this is, this is what it's like when we try to look at God and say, no, 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 ah, 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 ah. That's not what you said. You said the way the world works was like this. See, I can show you. But God goes, Physics? You're going to explain physics to me? You're going to explain how points work and the season works and the games work to me, six-year-old? No, you're not. No, here, let... No, I'm not being... No, I'm not tricking you. No, I'm not being dishonest. You just don't understand. It's like that, except a million-fold. God goes, no, you don't understand. I created it. You weren't there. And so we have wine. Boom! Like that. Wine. Who are those people who, who make their life all about tasting wine? What are they called? What's that? Winos? No, 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 no. Uh, excuse me. No. Uh, <laughs> no, the, the, the sniff. The taste, the sommelier can tell you what about wine? What can they tell you when they taste the wine? What's that? They can tell you the age. They can tell you where the grapes were grown. What it was aged in. There are very few people who can actually tell any difference between wines, okay? But these ones who can, they can tell you these things, and they can tell you correctly 
Now, if we gave this wine that Jesus created to one of these wine experts, could they tell you where the wine came from? No, they couldn't tell you. And yet they would tell you, wouldn't they? This is where it came from. This is the kinds of grapes that were used. Why? Well, because it has the appearance of age. Doesn't it? Grape juice doesn't become alcoholic, i.e. wine, without what? Time elapsing. Water can't be wine without a miracle. And as soon as you have a miracle, you have something that defies our understanding of how the world works because it is outside of how the world works. Why is this so important? Well, because when God created the universe, that was a miracle. And so there is no amount of observation that we can make in this universe, in science, that will be able to tell us where the universe came from. Is it okay to run science experiments on the wine that, God, that Jesus created that? Yep. It would have been totally cool to run science experiments on that wine. Do you see? It's totally awesome to study archaeology. It's totally sweet to look at genetics and then to discover epigenetics. It's absolutely appropriate for us to, to grow in our knowledge of physics and chemistry. To see how wine works and how alcohols are formed and how they interact with our bodies. This is science. This is fine. Run it on, on that wine that Jesus... But don't pretend like you can determine what you can't determine by studying those things. When you study how the universe works, when you study physics, what you can determine is how it works, not where it came from. You think that you can explain away a miracle, you're denying the glory of God. And there is no way to describe the creation as anything other than a miracle. And so don't you dare try to explain it away through natural law. Go back and look at how he made 
the universe. Study it. Look at it. Learn from what he put in the rocks. Learn from how he established the stars. Measure everything you can think of. And what will you be able to do? You'll be able to send somebody to the moon because you know how it works. You'll be able to look forward and predict when comets will return and when the next eclipse will be. You'll be able to look forward and say how a bone is going to heal or not heal. You can look forward and you can depend on all of these things that you've learned, if you understand them truly, and say how things will work. And always you will have to say, unless God changes the rules <laughs> and performs a miracle. And you see this in the hospital. Doctors will say, without a miracle, this person is going to die. What are they saying? They're saying, as far as we understand the laws of nature that God has created, as far as we understand how things work, there would be no scientific explanation for how this could happen. Now, is that properly, if that happens then, is that properly described as a miracle? Maybe, maybe not. That's where I don't want us to get bogged down and getting in, in, in distraction by, well, can we study and try to figure out how that happened? Is that a denial of the glory of God? No, study it. If you can come up with a natural explanation for how that happened, great. That wasn't a miracle. But when the Bible says, God did this, and it was a sign, Water turned into wine. You're not going to try to explain that. When the Bible says God spoke and the world came into existence, there's no amount of explanation that can take you beyond that. The outcomes of miracles are real in this natural world and can be studied to understand how this world works. The outcome of the miracle of creation can be studied now to see how this world works. When there is a seed, it implies the existence of a plant having created the seed. When there's a plant, it implies the existence of a seed. There's, there's no, this is why there's that famous question, which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? That's why there's no answer to that question, except for God created. If you want to go back and say, well, through evolution, it could have created this and that, then I say, okay, well, then where did that come from? 
Well, through energy and physics and astronomy, we can say that this, 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 okay, well, then where did that come from? Well, eventually, we just know that there was everything and nothing and, it, and, and then everything. Right, that's what God says. He said there was nothing, and then he created everything. So what's your point? That that's somehow not miraculous? It's a miracle. Get over it. The heavens declare the glories of God. This is wonderful. Don't argue with it. Don't think that you're smarter than God, that you can explain the Bible. That you can, that you can explain away what he says about how he created the world. Through your study of what he created. You can not do that. Anything that transforms a miracle of God into a naturally explainable event is the fruit of unbelief seeking to hide God's glory. It's a declaration that you're smarter than God, that you're more glorious than God. God made the earth with age, with the appearance of age. How do I know that? Because there's no other way to create. Do you see? There's no way of God creating the laws of nature without the appearance that these things have always been. If you really want to push it back to the Big Bang and then say, okay, how did the laws of physics come about? It appears as though they've always been here, doesn't it? He created the laws of nature with the appearance of age. If God creates, it's a miracle. And when there's a miracle, it's unexplainable through natural events, through natural processes. It is supernatural. And so, through all of this, what I want you to go away with is confidence that God's word is true. There is no reason to be browbeaten about what science says and the claim that this through genetics and the claim that that through... No. You cannot go back and explain a miracle retroactively through natural processes. It doesn't work. Do you see? God created the heavens and the earth. Study them and see how God's world works. But never will you be able to answer how, except to say, God did it. God did it. You have the answer. 
that every godless physicist in the world is looking for right now. God did it. It's that simple. They want to talk about the unifying theory? That unifies it. God did it. Want to explain where things came from? God did it. You think about how many times you've been taught, you've read, you've heard on the news that the Bible can't be true because such and such proves that fill in the blank. If anyone can ever answer the question, how? Then they will know the truth. And the truth is, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. And that's why the heavens declare the glory of God the way that this first miracle of Jesus creating wine out of water declared his glory. And the proper response is for what? For us to believe. Believe. All of that, all of that work, pouring ourselves, pouring money, pouring time and energy into science, as though somehow if we just give ourselves to studying the glory of God enough that we'll be able to prove that God doesn't exist. Do you see... see how insane that is? This is why so many top physicists in the end, at the, at, after they've poured their life into it, they just say, there's got to be a creator. That's what the heavens say. The heavens say there's a glorious God who made all of this stuff. And the more you understand physics, the more you understand that God created the universe. Let's pray.